0: Powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina. And broadcasting from down under outside Brisbane in Australia. It's episode 96 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, we talk about the amazing music and life of one Harry Belafonte. And as always, Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. Perdomo 20th Anniversary requires tobaccos that have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan Sun and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. perdomo is a family-owned and operated company. It's headquartered in Miami, Florida with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double Age 12-Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Albano Bourbon Barrel Age, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And by JRE Tobacco. The authentic Coro leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age of South of Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Homestown Valley in Honduras, Julio Ardo took on the challenge of growing Corolla from the original seeds and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced Authentic Coro back to the market. With over 50 years experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with Authentic Coro. Now with JRE Tobacco, Huina and huso brought their very own brand to market, and each contained the Authentic Coro leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Candela. Each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Develop at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And of course, we want to mention Tabacalera USA. Makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Group Cigars, Tabacalera USA. Great things are happening here. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. It's a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distillings' Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso. It's perfect for life's celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of shows, as well as the California studios for the Thursday show, is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 96. We are getting—actually, uh, this is going to be may We're beginning of May when this comes on. Uh, this is Will Cooper. I'm in the uh, Perdomo Scar Studios uh, here on the Black Stage, and I'm joined, as always, uh, by my good friend and colleague, uh, down in Australia Mr. Dave Burke
1: Hello Coop how are you I'm doing good how about you Good I'm very excited for this show um we'll talk a little bit about yeah the show in a little bit but no it uh I like these um shows where we dive into like a single artist's career they're very yeah. interesting Yeah
0: and, and you know we did this show was put together rather quickly um Yeah due to you know uh Harry Belafonte's passing uh, you came out. You you messaged me like right away, and I and I said, yeah, let's do this. Uh, while you know, obviously, uh, people can kind of remember Harry and and mm. celebrate some of the music, and I think people are going to be surprised with some of the songs. Uh, you you're probably going to get a different appreciation for Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of the show for sure.
1: Oh, definitely. And uh, this is why I like doing the show on artists so much. You get to see their whole yeah. career and 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 as well i mean it's not just his musical career but like his life in general you know it's It's an it's an amazing life he lived a very i mean he Mm. lived
0: in 96 right yeah i mean that's a great great life he lived um and uh you know god bless him and and you know it's it's a it's a sad day to see him pass but um one thing we like to do is is reflect on all the good things and uh the Mm -hmm. music and that's what we can do here um but you know we sometimes i think you know we we took for granted harry belafonte with you i was surprised when i heard he died he was 96 i didn't think he was that old but you know when you go back into his career and we're going to get into it he goes back he goes back 70 years his career a long way yeah yeah so um so yeah i'm excited about that um to do that Mm. for sure um But uh, it's been an interesting week here in North Carolina. Uh, We had Mm. the Noah's Ark uh, come through here, like rains. (laughs) Right. Four days of rain. Dave, it didn't stop. Wow. So I had this table. I'll just tell this quick story. I had this table that I went and cleaned and and put in my backyard. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me just let, you know, kind of let it air out for a bit. And about an hour later, the rains came and they didn't stop for four days. So that thing was like soaked <laughs> and now I'm like oh, no. it was so wet and, and there's, there's some pores in it because it's some Oh metal- no. So I was worried about mold forming cuz it's still outside now in the sun because I don't want any mold coming in on this thing. So it was a uh, it was an oh. interesting week for sure.
1: Oh so, no. So yeah. is that like uh I mean I, I mean obviously I don't live there I live here. Is that like uh un- is that like unseasonable? Is that like surprising? Does it usually not rain that much
0: or not in April. I mean, when we get these types of rains, it's when we get remnants of tropical storms and hurricanes. That will usually Ooh. produce that type of rain and for constant. But even when we get those high like, hurricane rains, they come in bands. So there's breaks of that. Um This was just a downpour for like four days, as I mean, it was, it had a. I never saw a downpour in my life like that, and there was some heavy downpours on top of this. So I'm curious to see what happens. We have a lot of creeks in Charlotte, so I'm kind of wondering what will happen with some of these creeks uh, over the next few days. So right, yeah, but we're we're not we have rivers, but we have creeks, and those creeks. I've been down here when the creeks have overflowed, and it's it could get ugly. I'm not in a flood zone, luckily, so I'm I'm in a good shape here. There's no creeks by me, so. Uh, i have good i have good drainage at my house and everything
1: so oh that's good
0: but yeah so that was a uh, yeah and it was um yeah so but it's clearing out which is good well i'm happy about that
1: man oh yeah no rain here oh, i mean there's rain but not like that lately it gets a bit dry in the winter here um summer is when it's like well there's like areas in australia that's like a wet and a dry yeah so during during the dry, it's fine during the wet, like you can't even get to like certain towns like they're just totally cut off.
0: yeah, no, it's true and uh I know what you're saying. you know when Nicaragua gets this, mm. so when you get to Nicaragua around this time of the year, they get into their rainy season and that's how it rains every day and it's long and heavy downpours, uh which is why there's like a lot of the, the cigar travel starts to taper off from like May to like early November. This is to, you can't, you really can't go out to the fields or anything like that. And, um, so this is not the type of year that this is not the time of year to grow in a lot of crops because of that,
2: right? Yeah.
0: I, well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw, um, one piece of news, I didn't have it on Cigar Coop, but, um, it was reported from Jeff Borshowitz of Corona Cigar. He had a hailstorm come through the, the farm and lost his whole crop. Oh, no. Yeah. That was sad to see. Um, I know Jeff well. And he he puts his he puts his heart into that 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 farm and see you know he he kind of you know he put a good face on for it, but he's got to be dead and not not because he not because of the money I don't think the money is the issue I think it's just he loves tobacco and I think he loves to mm. you know grow and cultivate tobacco so I felt so bad for him yeah
1: that's rough yeah
0: hail he said hail is the most damaging thing that can mm. happen it's the worst nightmare for tobacco oh so, yeah, I can yeah you can't save it yeah. And he showed pictures of it. It was sad to yeah. see.
1: Yeah. Um now it's not a good uh transition, but something that is not sad to see, Coop. The finals of the uh of the bracket.
0: We have a final four set. Uh so let's put this right up here. Um yeah, the final four just concluded uh as we're recording this uh, on a Saturday. Um not a lot of surprises i don't think there were a lot of surprises that happened here
1: no uh, uh yeah i mean i think i like i mean i think appetite and chad compton sort of went the way we we thought yeah i think maybe the biggest surprise for me is that the purple rain one was so close it and it I
0: closed think. up. It closed up in the last hours, like in the last like eight hours. It really started. It, it was a one vote. It was one vote that decided that closest matchup of the of this tournament thus far. Even some of those other close ones were like two or three votes. This one went to one vote. And I, to be honest, I didn't see this one coming. Uh, with the Beastie mm. Boys. Uh, and you know, it's like it's interesting. Cause you don't want to like. I don't want to influence people. You know, it's like I want people to vote on a clean slate. So I don't want to tell them what's going on with that. Unless it's like mm. just a deadlock and I just get out and vote. But but yeah, so people, a lot of people just kind of, the BCs made that surprise run, which I didn't expect. And I think it's going to no. be interesting to see how this passes over now into the next round.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I think the one thing is you kind of have, well, I mean, it's sort of, I think the final four, and I think the final four usually of each of our Battle of the Bands it's really reflective of the decade. So it's eighties, so we got a lot of rock, we got some metal, and then we have probably the most iconic pop record of the eighties, which yeah. is Purple Rain. Yeah.
0: Um, which was a little bit of an unconventional pop album too. I mean Yeah. But
1: but but it has to be the most iconic soundtrack, sure. Yeah.
0: I, I definitely I agree. Um, you know, it ended up like we were saying that medical metal and hairband was really um what the story was of this. Um, you know, the two, the rap and the, uh, hip hop made, it made a shot. I mean, it, it, they, they were competitive in that, in the elite eight, but, um, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. But I think then when you look at the nineties one, we had Dre in there and everything, which is really when hip hop kind of got more popular. Yeah. Like, even if you're looking at Jada Compton, that's like 89. So it's kind of late in the decade. Right, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I think to be more, you know, maybe if we would have gotten like a Madonna or something in the final four, it would be more reflective of the '80s. But that was pretty... my thought,
0: exact. Well, Michael Jackson, yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, that's pretty that good. Didn't...
1: Like, I mean, I think a lot of these bands sort of had their heyday in the in the '80s. I mean, you could argue Metallica's still putting out stuff now, but maybe their maybe their peak was early '90s. But they're all sort of. They're all sort of big 80s, you know. I mean, I think, out of all these bands, I think the Master of Puppets one has benefited the most from people looking back in hindsight. That maybe, I don't think that this album was as big when it came out that people are voting for now, if that makes sense.
0: No, yeah, and I agree with that. I think a lot of that, that, you know, with our audience, I think there's two things that played into that. I think, first of all... um. The Drew Estate cigar is put Metallica mm. kind of in people's minds, and I think with some people, I'm not saying all. Oh, I think the new Metallica album is playing mm. into this too, because again, Metallica is putting out fresh music and it's fresh in people's minds. Yeah, none of these. These other, other three are not, you know. So yeah, I think John benefited from. I mean, that upset undid his whole bracket. Is what happened. Yeah, that's right. He had the most up. John's bracket had the most upsets. Um than any of the other brackets as far as um if you just i'll just pull it up quickly you can see it was uh he had some just wow yeah yeah eight five yeah and london calling which i thought had a shot to go to the final four it really did um Mm -hmm. went down to eliminator which we talked about that on on the last show so um but but metallica you think about they have just steamrolled um after that Michael Jackson mm. win, uh Metallica has not slowed down. The, the yeah, Metallica win-
1: needs some Metallica needs some good competition though. If you you know Well I think they're
0: Metall- going up
1: they're going up against the big boys now.
0: Yeah, and I think if you look at this, right, um this this Metallica A C D C match can go either way. Mm. I was surprised, Dave, so of the of the bracket finals Lead Eight we had the, the one that generated the most discussion, I think, was Back in Black and Peter Gabriel.
2: Mm-hmm. And it seemed
0: like there were people on two sides of the fence with that one. Some mm, people that's just fair, don't. Yeah. yeah. They were, yeah. But in the end, the voting really didn't show that. Mm. You know, at the end of it was the second biggest margin of the four. So mm. um, I do think Prince is vulnerable. I don't think Hector's got this locked up because Prince has been, Prince was very vulnerable against the Beastie Boys. Um and Guns N' Roses has done well. So I think you have a shot in this one against Hector. Yeah, I, think I mean like four close two close matchups are gonna be, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean I mean mine pretty much went to chalk. Mine was pretty much straight chalk. You had no ups- you had no upsets. Yours was completely yeah. chalk.
0: You had every- so no uh
1: lower seeds won in yours. No. Um but yeah, I mean and I thought it was gonna come down to these two and that's Pretty close. I think we're sort of neck and neck the whole time. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know about Purple Rain now. Again,
0: Purple Rain shows some vulnerabilities against the Beastie Boys, but now it's going to be a different vote. I think it's a different voter. I don't think a Beastie Boys voter is automatically. I think some of those Beastie Mm. Boys voters may convert back to Purple Rain is what you'll see. I think folks will vote Maybe I don't think they'll, because I don't think they were ever going to be Guns N' Roses ones
1: either. No. I think Matt from uh, How About That Cigar needs to uh, rally the uh, the votes behind Purple Rain. He needs to like he mobilize. Could, it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, like I guess I think he, any of these four can win it right now. Yeah. I, I really do. I think it's a, it's much more, comp- like last year it wasn't quite, we had, I think everyone kind of figured it was to be Pearl Jam and um, Nirvana from the beginning. Mm. um. But John, I think the wild card, Metallica was a complete wild card. And and he, I kind of understand his rationale for putting Master Puppets at eight seed. I, I do understand. I don't, I'm not criticizing him on that. Yeah. Uh, but his,
1: his, his bracket was stacked to begin with. So, you know. I mean, I, it's, yeah. He's the biggest surprise. Like we kind of figured the other three would be in there. Yeah. Yeah. The, Cause yeah, they're all our number one seeds, aren't they? Cause is that except from yeah, except one? From, yeah. They're all number ones except from the top master puppets, <laughs> which beat the number one. So yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, well, I'm, uh yeah, I, I don't know who's going to win it to be honest. Yep.
0: Yeah. And if you're listening to this now, the broadcast, uh, the, the master puppets and back and black matchup will be, uh, taking it's already taking place. So the voting has already started on that. And then uh, later in the week we'll do the second one and then the following week will be the finals. So Mm -hmm. we didn't get to do a final four to show this year, unfortunately. Um I was thinking about that today. Uh but I'm sure we'll do when we do the wrap up of who wins, I'm sure we'll cover the whole tournament. So
1: yeah, it's just the way that the timing and stuff it was tough. It was
0: tough timing, yeah. It was both our schedules were a little crazy. Um so and then we have to try to get Hector and John different time zones, you know, so that gets a little challenging too. But most likely sometime uh, in June, maybe June, we'll we'll target the show, uh, the wrap up show. Whoever and the interesting thing with Purple Rain wins, we're probably gonna do a print show. I guess we said right because yeah, we, do we, a print show. Yeah, we, well, I mean, we'll we'll give those guys a shot to give their thoughts on Purple Rain for sure. So, uh, so yeah, that's the only uh, drawback. But yeah, uh, interesting. Like I said, it's interesting. I think it, it it reflected the decade, and I think it reflected the. Uh, like Hector kept talking about the taste of um, the people who were you know we have a lot of cigar people, that mm. that do this. So, you know, from that perspective, I think Hector's right on that. Um, I just don't think Prince is necessarily a shoe in for this at this point. Uh, no, I Prince mean, be, yeah, I yeah,
1: yeah, I don't think it'll be it's a shoe in either. I think. And I think that Master of Puppets is sort of like the Alanis Moore set of the last one, the sort of bolter from you know. Yeah. And Prince Yeah, but there's no runaway. There's no uh Nevermind in this one.
0: No, there's no Nevermind in this one. I don't like I said, I don't think AC D C necessarily has um the like this and again, it, that's a forty three year old album we're talking about. So, you know, ne- yeah. Nevermind and Nevermind was still like I think twenty eight, twenty nine years old when we did that last year. Yep. So, um, yeah. Um, like I said, yeah. Uh, yeah
1: I'll be interested. It's very shaping up to be quite an interesting final four.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, I we've had, like, this has been the most voting we've had this year, too. So, um, there's definitely been a lot of votes. Some of the matchups have really brought some, some fans out on this. So, uh, mm. especially Metallica, especially the Metallica, uh, and the Prince, I think they, that's why I think I'm watching those, but we'll see. I mean, it's, uh, so stay tuned. Like you you get to decide this, not us. So, yeah, get in there. Yeah, um, see if
1: uh, Hector can go two in a row, go back to back.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Um, for sure. Uh, I like said Hector has done a very good job in uh drafting drafting this. So, uh, like I can say, I was really disappointed that Peter Gabriel didn't make it. I really wanted him to get into the final four.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a very, I mean, it's it's very sort of uh, two different styles of music. You got Back in Black and Peter, you know, Peter Gabriel. It's yeah, very, you know, yeah. two different sides of the coin there.
0: Yeah, what I thought was interesting was your bracket because um, I don't necessarily equate you to a Guns N' Roses guy as much as more of an Alonis. I think you were more of an Aloness guy last year. Um, <laughs> hey, GNR fan. Yeah. But they've definitely, uh, you know, they definitely got you uh, to the to the finals. And the guys, the other thing I was saying is, I think I just couldn't figure out Van Halen going down as hard as they did in the second round. Both mm. albums went down hard, so you just don't
1: see. Yeah, the... they sort of peaked, didn't they, at a certain point?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was a little bit of a slide. But like I said, except for John's bracket, there weren't
1: a huge amount of upsets. No. Yeah. No, but. Uh... But no, but I think uh I think whatever whatever happens Coop we'll have an interesting show regardless.
0: Yeah, I think we uh any of these four shows will be great shows. Um the stories of the album or in, in Prince, obviously we could expand a little more in his career with that. Um so I think it will be interesting. And like I i I'm really curious to get the the reflections of of John and Hector when we get into that too. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. That is the uh, battle of the bands for 2023, um, and it just comes along fast every year. It's hard to believe how. Uh, yeah. How we're already, you know, I think we'll have to start thinking about what we're going to do next year pretty soon. So.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh.
1: uh But you guys. So I got. I got, I got. Yeah. yeah you guys. got some, got some stuff, more yeah. music news here, yeah. Coop. So. So we talked about. Uh, what we um about the brackets, so that is all sorted. Yep, uh, right now we got Harry Belfonte, which we'll talk about his passing, but also, Coop, we have in music news Dolly Parton is putting out a children's book. Yeah, yes, so she's got a book coming out, and that is um. Billy the Kid makes it big. Which is didn't, about Yeah about, about- uh, her well not her, but her manager is French Bulldog becoming a country music star. Wow. It's about standing up for yourself, Coop. Yeah. Doing your thing. Uh yeah. yeah. And Dolly's going around doing the doing the interviews on it. Uh comes out i mean as people i don't know if people know but dolly as well one of her big charities is around reading and getting reading for kids and getting kids books and that sort of thing um and so uh, it just makes sense that she does a children's book herself um yeah dolly pardon children's book country singing dog wow uh, do you have a time frame when that's coming out well she's doing i, I think you can order it now because she's doing a bunch of interviews on it and everything uh, I think it's available now oh okay I didn't realize it was out already like like the I mean if it's not out it's like pre-order pre-order right because I'll have to, I'll, I can look right now oh yeah I can get it at my <laughs> local bookstore here in Australia so it's gotta be out yeah so I think it's out and she's just doing the rounds uh for it um yeah Dolly and uh and the dog Wow Oh, you can you can pre-order it. Really, it, it comes out in July. You're okay. pre-ordering it now. Comes out in July. That's what my That's local bookstore is saying. That's not too bad. No. So, uh, yeah, kids' book, Dolly, make it happen. Very um, good.
0: Yep. So, I'm sure we'll have a book
1: review at some point from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess uh, I wanted to... Uh, I was reading the. She did an interview for it on NPR, and she was saying her manager's dog came into the studio, and she said she said uh, that she she's the she's the dog's uh, godmother because she just loves the dog so much. And so now yeah. she's. Uh, I, I mean, done I can see her, I can see her
0: being a big animal lover. Yeah.
1: Uh so there you go. Get some. Listen to some Dolly. Pick up the uh, children's book. Check it out. You got Cigar News. You got that. You got a – it's just the humidor that looks like a lunar lander or whatever.
0: Yeah, and actually we we actually had Omar De Frias who uh, – we're talking about Fratello Cigars, uh, the lunar. Um, We actually had him on the show the other night. Um, And uh, he he, – it was kind of a last-minute thing because we had a cancellation. And um, he uh, showed off this new – he showed up this new cigar called the Fratello Lunar. Uh, I'm gonna pull up the picture. Dave, I think this is one of the coolest projects this year, um that I've seen. And that's why I was like, uh because you know, we are we are sending a Lunar Lander on here. Um and he actually designed the ass. packaging, you know. Omar worked for NASA, by the way. And uh he uh, he knows the guy. Like this is a private company that did this. Um, and he knows the guy who founded the company, and he was able to uh, work with them to kind of come up with these cigars. And there's three cigars. There's a Cameroon and a Connecticut, and they're in the smaller ones. And then this big one, which is actually like a full-scale humidor, that's going to be a Dominican Puro. All of them coming out of La Aurora. Um, I mean, this really looked like some spectacular packaging. When um, And Omar said that he is going to have the Fratello logo on the, um, in the lunar lander. I don't think it's going to be on the side of it, but I think it'll be inside it or something. Where so his all logo right. is going to go to the moon. So he's like really excited about this. Um, I just think it's a, I also think this is a really cool type of collaboration. You know, uh, he, he is the NASA guy. So to do a, a cigar, mm. uh, you know, he did some stuff like with the space shuttle and all, but this was like he really worked with people who are building this stuff, which is really, uh, which is really cool um so these cigars should be out in time for the landing uh, which is scheduled for June mm. um I'm, it's a, cool I'm like looking at uh, yeah, it really yeah, I I may I may splurge and try to get one of these um I think that big one's gonna be tough to get but the smaller ones yeah. they, I think they look really cool and I'm, I'm you know he's got a Cameroon cigar which he's never done a Cameroon before mm. so um good job by him uh and he he share yeah, if, if you watch especially um that's a. Uh, primetime two sixty five with Omar. He he's got a lot of knowledge about the space program. Obviously, working there. Um, so oh yeah. He really was dropping some knowledge on on uh you know he worked on the financial end of things, but that played a lot into the what they did or did not do. And it's like he was dealing with like the budgets that he was dealing with are like like the, some of the numbers would be five percent. One time they were five percent of the uh, budget for the U.S. economy. Oh wow! When we were in our heyday, and they had a obviously they had to cut it back since then. But these are big numbers he's looking at here. Yeah, you know, bigger than some companies. You know, he was dealing. Oh with. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think it's a cool project. I think it's good for the oh, cigar industry. Cool. Yeah, I think it's good for the cigar industry, and uh, it's kind of something a little different. And I'm kind
1: of looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 very cool. I think yeah that that big. The big one with the gauge on everything—that's probably be very
0: hard to get. There's only 175 of those, um, and I think he's yeah. sold. He may have already sold all of them to the retailers. Mm. So yeah, um, good. It's good news. Uh, and he's. It's also his tenth anniversary, so um, he's got some stuff planned. This is part of the tenth anniversary. He said. So I think at the trade show, he'll probably um have some new stuff, but. I would expect if this if, if he's got pictures of the logo on the moon or something like that, um, he'll have stuff at the booth like, he, you know, mm. and, and the last thing I'll say, Dave, this is the other thing that he dropped knowledge. on. So we're going to the moon. It's not a man mission yet, but he thinks it will happen before the end of the decade. But right. he said this is what's interesting. And this is what I did not realize: they're going to the South Pole of the moon this time. So they're going to a completely oh. different location that they haven't been to before. They haven't been right. to the South Pole. Yeah. So, So I thought that was interesting as well. Wow. Just yeah.
1: dropping some space knowledge. Yeah, he was really...
0: Uh, he's a good guy. Um, he was good. He was a lot of fun the other night. He's the tallest man I think I've ever seen. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> he's like six 6'8". Um, I remember there was a picture of him with Phil Zengi of Debonair. <laughs> and Phil's like one of the shortest guys in the cigar industry. And it's like I said... I remember I made a comment. I said, uh, looks like you two guys are balancing your sense of proportion. <laughs>
1: so... <laughs> wow that would be crazy
0: yeah yeah so uh so no it's all it's all good stuff with that um for sure so uh
1: exciting stuff for the cigar industry uh speaking cigars coop i i watch developing palettes religiously (laughs) watch it all the time by the way seth needs a sponsor what's going on there like they all got sponsors except for Seth. He just sits there in his in his in his room. I'm sure they're working Where, on it. <laughs> everybody else has a backdrop. It looked I mean,
0: like he, so, you know, he did the show with Aaron on, on the Bear rather on Sunday night. We talked about that, and it looked like he was in a closet. Yeah, he needs. to <laughs> I don't know. It's like clothes it hanging and stuff. It was, but it, but, it, but it, I think it was his garage. But there were clothes and stuff. It was weird.
1: Seth needs a backdrop, man. Yeah, that's what yeah, he needs.
0: Yeah. Um, but the boys were at it again this week. <laughs>
1: Well, so I watched the one on the Las Provincias, like the new one. I can't remember the exact. It was like the purple foot band one. It was the uh, CMW. Yes. That's the fourth one. And like uh, John and Seth were raving about it. June seemed a bit like not totally impressed. And like Aaron was not impressed. At all,
0: no, no, he was not. Hector's words to me were,
1: We got a split decision from developing palace. He saw that, yeah. Well, they just, I think, Seth and John each gave it like in the seventh. Seth
0: gave it a 7.27, and John gave it a 7.52, which is Aaron, crazy. Yeah, Aaron gave it a one, and June was 575. And June hates actually AJ cigars, so I think that plays a lot into it. Not that he's biased; I think he gives every shot a, a cigar, fast shot. But he that is not his yeah. profile. Um, so uh, he uh, he basically his comments were it basically tastes like the AJ style of earthiness. This is yeah. a pass for me. Um, but he did say he'd rather smoke the other lots Provencias.
1: But John and Seth just loved it. Yeah, from what they were saying, like I gotta I gotta track this cigar down, Coop. Um yeah. Sounds uh, like my wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. Um I, I actually only have like one one of them. Right, I gotta get some more of those, so um so yeah, so sure. Um for sure.
1: It's uh, I haven't smoked it yet, so Oh. Well and, hey, it just was like it was very like divisive. Yep. Um so I, I gotta and John and usually I have to say John and Ses. Profile is kind of like mine, so you. So there's been times where I've watched reviews on there that they've done, where they'll do boxes of ten, like the yeah. cigar. So I can only really, if I buy a box, it has to be of ten because I can't afford anything other than that, right? Uh, with taxes and that, uh, and I've bought it just based on their review, and they have not let me down. No, it's they true. have not let me down. Yes, yeah, so.
0: that's, that's usually. I think we're about eighty percent aligned mm-hmm. uh with Seth uh and then the 20% we're, we're, we're far apart on is what I'll say uh and it's the same uh, with Bear I have the same experience yeah. with Bear Bear and I 80% and then that 20% right. we're far
1: apart on Seth and I were like 90% and then I like the lunatic torch 4 by 70 that killed you
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that, that uh you know, we were doing, Bear and I did a show um, that I think I mentioned, it was inspired by the uh, beginning of the end and the yeah. uh, three in a row. And we did sophomore releases um, where companies either did good or bad. And Bear had, Bear just kind of leveled Agonor's so belief in that one, that's what I will just say. Yeah! Yeah, he... Uh, woo yeah, he was he. What he leveled in particular was the Guardian of the Farm Night Watch, and he wasn't wrong on that, right? It because the original Guardian Farm is is one of the epic cigars that. um That was the cigar they did with Warped. Uh, yeah, but then they did Maduro uh, the Nightwatch and I agree. It was that it, the it, it was terrible. It was hmm. such so a. I like the Guardian of the Farm. Yeah, the, I mean, the Guardian of Farm is a great line. Uh I mean, it got top ten ratings on on a lot of sites. My site, Aficionado, it. I love the Guardian. It kind of gets forgotten about, but but you figure Nightwatch would be. I'm not saying it would be as good, but that was a disaster. That cigar, mm. that was a disaster for so. Uh, so yeah, that was a little inspiration we had from from the shows we did. You know, kind of coming up with that. I like that idea of good and bad sophomore releases. I'm writing that down. Yeah, yeah. For cigars or music.
1: Music. Yeah, well, we should. Both. Do, I was going
0: say we should do a sophomore one. Um, which would be very interesting. Like second album, like what, what it would be. Uh, cause I think it would be very different than what we did with three in a row. Cause three in a row was like, you know, we're talking about being at a level. Um, yeah. and then we do boom or bust. Like, did someone have a great sophomore release album? Or did yeah. Or disaster on? it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. So it's not follow up. It's the first two we look at. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and we we went when we did the show, we, we kinda took some liberties. We said company, brand, or line. But I think yeah. with music it makes more sense to do album because singles, it's hard to tell when they're released sometimes.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to do album. Yep. Hmm. Very interesting. Yep. Mm. I like that. Uh what are you smoking, Cooper?
0: Uh, I, I said this was a late call, but I'm going uh, with the Postani uh, Warbear Perfecto. Ooh. This was the original release. Uh, yes, so the was. Warbear's Limited. Um, so they've done the Perfecto, the Toro, and the Box Press Toro.
2: Mm.
0: Um, and the way I rate them is the, the the Round Toro was one of the great cigars ever to come out of Nikosueno. This mm. Sueno. This is good. I didn't like the box press as much, but this is yeah. good. And this is from probably this is probably about four or five years old. This cigar, so um, yeah, I didn't have any connection with Harry with this cigar other than um, you know, it's a good celebratory cigar. Um, you know, it's got that that like subtle barber pole on it. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I'm gonna fire this one up. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of people sort of have your similar rating on those cigars as well. The similar, yeah. like, you know, one, two, three. I mean, for me, I really I, I would probably go the round, the box press and then the perfecto because mm-hmm. I like the box press more than some other people. But I think I think the consensus is the round is the best one that round Toro.
0: I, I think that round one. Yeah, I think that, like I said, that cigar was top the number four cigar of the year. I got Super. a lot of love from Mike on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, it's 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 I think the best cigar to come out of Nicasio, and there's a lot of great cigars coming out of Nicasio. But oh it's yeah. not, uh, the box press isn't a dog rocket either. So I'm no, no, no. it's it's a personal preference thing.
1: Um, no, I mean you're yeah, you, I mean they they're all amazing cigars. It's just sort of like if you had to rank them, how you like right. them. If you had to rank, yeah, and
0: I think that's the fun of of when you do something like like the way Mike's doing it with uh, these War Bears is. You can compare and contrast them. Um, except if you, I think John ripped it. Remember, John ripped it so bad that they put him on the show? And I think they made
1: sound bites of it now. <laughs> he did. I mean, it's like rating the first four Zeppelin albums. Some people say four is the best. I say it's two.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's. But they're it's, all amazing. They're all amazing. Yeah. This is not a case where uh, it was, It's. The, I don't think the box press was beginning At the end. So by good. any means. That, so. that
1: that blend in the barber plot's so good.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um I got a cigar. There's no connection other than I haven't really featured a lot of his cigars on the show. I don't know if I'd featured this one or not. But it's the Omec Maduro in the Corona. Good cigar. Really I'm really curious. It is to see what you're, yeah, you've you, you smoked. Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple pre show just to sort of see what they're like. And and I don't know if it's the size or not. I haven't really had other sizes in this blend. But it's this really kind of dark, sweet with a bit of like citrus in it. It's so good. Yeah. It's very good. You know, the Olmec has been a a big hit for him. And oh, hey, um, yeah. And you know,
0: they have the two. They have the Maduro and the Claro. And mm. it's kind of like the debate with that is very similar to like a Padron debate. Um mm. which by the way, this is you know, I don't think I'm out of school comparing this to a Padron. It's a very good cigar he's got, right? Um, but I there's it seemed like there was a slight, like slight edge for the Maduro. Um, mm. Stogie Santa and I, Stogie Santa is big on the Claro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, but this Claro is really good too. The Claro is going to give you a very different spin on it.
1: Yeah, I really like the Maduro. I think I had the Claro a while ago.
0: It, it's, but they said, yeah, good. is Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, 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 a little more on the Claro, but the Maduro is very good. I just bought some. Uh, I just bought ordered some actually. Um, so I don't have them yet, yeah, because I had one, as
1: well. Great cigar,
0: yeah. I had to order some, some Maduros, so but I smoked mm. a Maduro when Nick was on the show earlier this year, so okay, I, yeah, so I've smoked it, but I haven't reviewed these yet. They're uh, they're coming up, they'll probably come up in June or July for a review. I mean, nice box press, nice cigar. I, I don't like the band, I'll be completely honest. I, I, oh, I, don't, I love the band, you don't like it. Is it the color scheme, or I think the color scheme is what's wrong. I think mm. if the, I, the problem is, I don't know if you can embellish those bands and then get the same effect of like an of an ancient civilization. Mm. Um, I don't hate the bands, is what I'm saying. But you know, mm. there's there's bands I really like of Nicks. Um, you know, you go into uh, tabernacles mm. and uh, that's cool. Baby. Wise men, yeah, there's really some so. Um i almost think like i said the band is a little like i said these cigars are premium cigars he's got in his line and more some of his more expensive stuff mm. um and i just don't know how the band's going to translate very well to if you're mm. trying to get into that space i can see that i like the art on it
2: uh, if art's you look nice. at
0: it the art's really good but if you kind of look at it and uh, it, i could see some people saying it looks cheap i mean that's the one, okay. i think the i think the color
1: is the problem with it
0: I think the I color is that. a real problem with that. Yeah.
1: I like it. Look at that. Yeah. Ooh, look at that art. Love it. Um, Hey, Bill. Belaf- All right. Now, the reason I messaged Coop when this happened is not, I mean, usually we might do occasionally a show on an artist who passes away. Like if it's, you know, a, uh, artist of like great importance to one of us or like, you know, like yeah. a big time artist or something. Uh, but, I just think with Harry Belafonte, well, not just his his musical career, but like his life and everything is so interesting that it just needs a bit more than the In Memoriam show. It, it just, it, you need, it's it's 70, so much. 70-year career, you know, I'd say he was doing 40 of that actively. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we'll talk about it. He's best known for two albums, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, his work is like extensive, uh, and his impact both, you know, not just in music but in society as well. Uh, I'm just gonna give a bit of history, and then Coop can fill in the yep. the um blanks of what he found as well. So, I guess what a lot of people don't know is he's actually born in New York in the 20s, like 27. That I think was something born. I learned too. I did not know that he was born now. Where where uh, it gets switched up. And so he's born in New York. And then I think his father left him, I believe. Um, and I think that the, the, his mom was from, uh, Jamaica. So she takes everybody to Jamaica. So he's born in New York, goes to Jamaica, lives in Jamaica, I think for almost like, I mean, till like the forties, I yeah. believe. Um, and that's where he's sort of connecting with the Calypso on the street because in Jamaica at the time, it was a lot of like Calypso and dance hall music mainly. Yep. And so he was sort of connecting with that. He found it hard to connect with this education system because it's like all British and he's like, what's going on? Um, and eventually he would then go back to the U.S. in the 40s. And there, back in the U.S., he sort of experiences injustice with all the Jim Crow laws uh, and stuff like that. So then he gets involved, not just with music, but he gets involved in sort of the activist side of things and marches with Martin Luther King. Like, he's done marches with Martin Luther King. Yep. He's worked with W.E.B. Du Bois. He's met with presidents from Kennedy to Obama. I mean, he was even marching against human rights, uh, anti-war and injustice in, like, the 2000s. So he's been, has a long sort of history with social activism, which I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. And he was very,
0: I mean, he was very much against apartheid. I mean, very active. He got in later in his career, he really got
1: active with that. So yeah. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll see. And he's done records with like Miriam Akiba and other African uh, artists. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had his, so while he's making this music in the background, there's all this social activism, and it's a and it's a lot of like he's very he's varied. I mean, there's a lot going on. Like some kid people my age may remember seeing him as a kid on the Muppet Show. <laughs> he was on that, but yeah. also like he did tons of theater, he did film, um, he did all these different sort of live performances. He's done a lot of different musical genres uh his career is very complex and there's a lot going on i think a lot more than people realize yep so so yeah so i mean that was just like a brief sort of overview of uh of harry um and yeah i mean he like i said he was still active in in uh, activism and stuff until like recently so he's been he's been all over the place no, that's, um, and yeah. then so that's sort of that's sort of my basic sort of quick overview. What what are some things that you want to add, uh, Coop? Yeah, I have a bunch of things. So, um,
0: you know, first, I'm not sure how many people really know him beyond the ba- banana boat song. Mm. I'm going to be honest with you. I think everyone knows the banana boat song. I'm going to talk. I am going to talk about the banana boat song. I was debating whether yep. I was going to do it or not, but I am going to do it. Um, but this is a guy. You know how he started off? He started off as a traditional folk artist.
2: Mm.
0: And what I mean, if you go to his first album. And the first track, it's called Mark Twain. I didn't mm-hmm. include it on the because I had a tr- I had, I had trouble getting this A, but it's a spoken folk track. He does. It's a spoken track. He does. That's the first. If you listen to the, if you want to start listening, the first record, uh, first and the first song on there, it's Mark Twain. So he he very much did that. Um, but he's also considered his strength. Really, he came in um with calypso. Um, mm-hmm. that's what yeah, and. Calypso actually is um that actually came from Trinidad and Tobago Tre- although it did push up into Jamaica um and it's kind of this calypso is a really interesting genre of music it's a, it's a fusion of like african music with um what, what, what do i want to say about that it's a fusion of I have french influence i think yeah uh, which i can see that why that worked in jamaica very well but he would he would expand into a lot of other genres of music mm-hmm. later in his career. I mean, we're talking uh, blues, gospel. Um, so he definitely, um, you know, changed this. And I, I have a couple of examples of some kind of off, off-beaten off things that were some of the staples of his that you wouldn't believe when we get into this. Um, and then, like you said, he... I think the term for the social causes happened in the 60s is when that really started happening. Mm. So... Really, from that point on, and he was doing that right up until he died. I think, and and, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, what he did outside the studio was was as important as, if not more important, than what he did in in the studio. Um, he had some. He was like a monster hit artist. Okay, Mm. so his first three albums of Belafonte, Calypso, and Evening with Belafonte, they all went gold, which is five hundred thousand. We're talking 1954s, mid-1950s here, okay? Mm. You know, the music and it hadn't exploded quite yet. But, so that's big. Both those albums, two of those albums, Belafonte Calypso were number one. And Evening with Belafonte was number two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, again, we're talking, this is a guy who's like the first, this is before Elvis, and then music just exploded and radio exploded. So it was it was different. So, he was a superstar. This guy was a superstar very early on. You want to talk about three in a row? They, there's three in a row right there. Like we yeah, didn't yeah, have yeah. that. He, the other thing that I think is really interesting is he is the he is a Grand Slam award winner. He has won a Grammy, several Grammys. He's won an Emmy. He's won a Tony, and he did win an Oscar. Although the Oscar was a Lifetime Achievement Award for for his humanitarian yeah. efforts, but nonetheless, hey, Cal- he's got an Oscar. He's got an, he's got all four yeah. of those statues were were on his mantle that's a huge... Obviously, he had multiple Grammys, but uh, the only... I think the only... There's only a couple of other artists. That, I know Rita Moreno's done it. Mm. Um, I don't... I think there's one other who did it, right? So... But Rita Moreno... Yeah, I mean, that is almost... That's very elite. You're talking about to win all four of those awards in your career. So, we're oh, talking definitely. about a guy who's, like, very well-known. And you kind of mentioned it, it was... He, he was a musician, yes, but he was an all-around entertainer, and... uh you know, and you combine that like it all. All these awards encompass music, his his work uh, in theater and 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 TV, and of course humanitarian efforts uh, and movies. So I mean, it, it was you know that's a that's a big thing for him. So as I was, this is something I learned as I was doing the research for this. So you know, this is I think he was really the the first big music star post World War. You can argue.
1: Mm, I think that I mean for me. What is interesting is that I think people think all of his albums were like the Calypso album, right? You and know, they weren't. and it weren't. No, I mean, very few, and really, like he keeps coming back to it over time. That sound, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, but no, I'm very, I'm very excited to, to to get this going. Yes. Let's kick it. Let's kick it off here, Coop. Yep. You got. You got a song I almost chose, but I did not.
0: Yeah, so I did go in. Um, I did go in sequential order of a uh, or chronological order, I should say. Um, and you know, this is a song that most people know, but you may not know that uh, Harry Belafonte covered this song. Um, it was back in 1955, uh, off the Belafonte album, and uh, it's Unchained Melody. So uh yeah, definitely more of a folksy spin on this song that he's got. Mm. Um and look, that album, Belafonte, was, was huge. It was it was a chart you know who knocked that album out of number one was Elvis Presley with his self titled debut album. Mm. Um and you know, I think like I said, it, it kind of it kind of showed, you know, um but back then we talked a lot about this. It wasn't unusual for artists to cover songs, like songs were covered a lot more back then. mm so, but I think I think this is a great, great version of this, and uh, it gives you a little more of that folksy, uh, that folksy spin of it. Um, I think you, there's other renditions people have heard of uh, over the years, but but this one, it's a good one if you're trying to get, you know, if you're trying to just look at Belafonte's career and you want to look at some of the stuff he did on the folks' end of things. Unchained Melody is definitely
1: that. Yeah, I um, I was uh, surprised. When I was going through preparing, like how many covers he's actually done? Um, there's a lot of cover. There's a lot of cover albums. Yeah. Um, and things, which is interesting.
0: And and you'll see, I have one that's coming up. Um, he also did. Um. He also did a lot of um, what's the word I'm going traditional covers of traditional music. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, there's one in particular. Yeah, so he, you know. He's done a lot of that stuff, so, but again, back then it wasn't unusual for uh, for um, to, to see that.
1: I got a very early song of his. Uh, this is not the record that you spoke about earlier, Coop, the uh, kind of his first record that like folk record, and this is John Henry. So, this is one of the earliest recordings. Um, and I, and I want to put on there because. People forget that he got his start, like musically. Anyway, he got his start in, in folk music in New York, so that's sort of his start. Calypso is his yeah. start. I mean, it's the biggest hit, but it's it's he began in like he started in folk, and so which he'll go back and forth to throughout his career. So you'll see, like as Coop and I talk, he'll be doing Calypso and blues and other stuff, and then he'll put out, like, a folk album. Then he'll do some other stuff, and then he'll put out a folk album. So it's like Calypso and folk are sort of two of the musical genres that he always finds his way back to eventually. Yeah. Um, Throughout his career. So he might do other stuff in between, but he'll always kind of fall, fall back onto those Genres which are for for him are you know kind of comfortable genres for him ones that he's really well versed in and he kind of finds his way back into. Um, but yeah, but this song is pretty much a straight up folk song, really. That's from the Mark uh, Twain the, album, yeah. right?
0: That's from the Mark yes. Twain album. Yeah, yeah it's so like this the is...
1: third track on it or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. So this, like I said, that's that's like a, almost a. I mean, it's basically categorized as folk favorites. That album. Yeah.
1: Yeah and and he and he and we'll talk about it but he'll go back and forth to folk uh, a lot um definitely but I mean, yep yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. we got let, let's 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 clear the room for like the song that pretty much everybody knows and by like I would say there's two songs and I got the other one but coop has yeah. got like the first one
0: I was debating whether we should include it or not but it it, it is I mean, six... you almost have to don't you, you have to yeah so uh it's the banana boat song um and um you know so again it's from the album calypso um it you know and i think it's got some calypso it's like it's it's a good fusion of calypso and folk this song mm. um and this is the song that is his signature song um and it was from the calypso album which 31 weeks number one on the pop Ooh. albums chart right it was the first long play album to sell a million copies. Um, but you know, I started I started um diving into what this song was about, right? And and I did some research because I I really didn't know what this song was about, right? Yeah. And and there is a story with this, right? And it's apparently it's it's the song is sung from the point of view of dock workers who are working a night shift and they're loading bananas onto ships. And basically it's um Daylight has come. The shift is over. You know, and yep. it's, um, they want their work uh, to be counted up so they can just go home. You know, so this is kind of like you know I was arguing with Aaron Loomis about Africa, and, and sometimes you get these types of songs. It's not necessarily the cleanest lyrics, but it's almost like a notebook of observations. And I and I thought this one really kind of kind of fit in here, right? Mm. I I also think that this song. It, this is a very early in his career song. The Banana Boat song, I want to say, this is his third album, um, so you know we're, we're 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 talking still very early in his career. Um, the Clifton album came out in nineteen fifty six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, um, you know, this this like I said was, um, you know, big. It was a big song. But the other thing is, you know, a lot of this song I didn't notice either was was traditional. So yep. the, I didn't realize that that was a traditional song, meaning it, when we say traditional, they, you really can't um, identify who the songwriter is. It's kind of one of those that's been, it's like folklore almost, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they did some arranging on it and everything, but I did not know that either about that song. You know, it's like I said, it was just a, uh, just like I said, monster hit. I mean, hmm. monster for him. Um, it's so, the it's the opening track. Uh, You know, we didn't, we did the opening track, the track one show, and how does I I kind of how did I miss this one? Yeah, that one, yeah, yeah. Uh, it it's this song has been it's been used in so many things. It's been used in pop culture all over the place. Um, it's even been on "I Love Lucy." There's an episode where yeah, yeah, and "I Love Lucy." Right around the time this was released, it was this was red hot. So uh, "I Love Lucy" was on. It was red hot. So. Um, amazing! It's an amazing. Um, I said amazing. So, I wouldn't categorize it as full blown calypso. Though this song, it's got calypso overtones in it, is what I would say. Mm.
1: Yes, well, I have one off the same record, which is yep. se- a seismic calypso. I mean, this puts him on the map. Yeah. Um, and it'll change music kind of forever. But it so like Coop said, it came out '56. I have Brown Skin Girl, so the reason I chose that one is that, like Coop mentioned, on the Calypso record, there are very few just straight-up Calypso songs. Yeah. Like, they're either got elements of Calypso that are sort of modernized or are more of a mix of sounds. This one is, like, straight-up. I think this and another song are pretty pretty much straight-up, like, Calypso. And the reason I chose it as well is that at this time sort of his work at general dance hall and Calypso work was really influencing like Bob Marley and Tosh and a lot of the reggae movement. And you can even hear it. So you can like, if you listen to this song, you can even hear some of that like ska sort of like, yeah, uh, uh, upbeat, you know, or, or on the downbeat stuff. Um, that you would get in reggae song. So I think his music like historically in music, this calypso was coming out at a time as well where music itself was starting to change in um Jamaica going like reggae was starting to like get come together. Um as well as Belafonte is sort of hearkening back to when he went to Jamaica with his mom and spent his time there. So you'll see this happen occasionally with him is he sort of goes back to this Calypso sound. Cause it reminds him of like listening to Calypso in the streets of Jamaica with his mom. And there's a lot of family and stuff connected with Calypso for him. Um, so he'll make a we'll we'll talk about it later, but he'll, he'll go back and make another Calypso record that, you know, sells extremely well. And, uh, and yeah, and this connection to sort of home and Jamaica and, Thinking back to you know, listening to music in the street and stuff like that, it's all sort of in in this record.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that one too. Um, totally agree, totally agree on that one. Um, I said I would say that you know that was one of the monster songs, uh, of mm. that, that calypso album. Um, but sure, you know, um, it's actually, it's a
1: short track, Brown
0: Skin Girl, but it's
1: a good one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these calypso records you could just hear it in the beat that like you know that sort of ska kind of uh structure which yeah. you know all the which like you know Toots and the Maytals really blow it out and then like Bob Marley and the Wailers obviously but yeah so no but uh it uh, uh it's a very good very good uh, a very good song very good record but Coop has Coop has another one. It's this off the same record, Coop? Yep. Yep. Uh it is good
0: Calypso like said, was a, again, this was a, a blockbuster album, thirty one weeks it at was. the top. So there's a lot on here. But you know, I didn't talk about this. So in when Harry Belafonte in this early part of his career, he was aligned with a songwriter uh named Lord Burgess. Uh mm. his real name was Irving Louis Lewis uh, Um and he is considered like one of the legendary Caribbean and folk music songs. Uh, he has been, uh, and he, basically the interesting thing is Lord Burgess wrote almost all the tracks on the album, uh, except the Banana Boat song, which he kind of uh, helped arrange. Uh, Brown Skin Girl was not uh, was not written by Burgess, and these was Men Smart, the last one, uh, which I almost picked that song too, The Women Smarter. Which,
2: mm. Again,
0: that's another huge song, right? But I picked "Jamaica Farewell," was the song I picked yeah. here. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Again, that's, I think there's a lot of hits off this album. Um, and you know, the one thing about "Jamaica Farewell" um, that I'll say is um, what what I kind of saw here with with this song is it was almost like a few, it, it, this, like he was. He started out as this folk artist. And now you can see the beginnings of him incorporating this. I thought this was much, it, this, it's a Jamaican, Jamaica's in the song, but it is very much a Jamaican style uh, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he, I think this was like the first one where I'm really seeing some of that influence of, of folk in Jamaica kind of come together with this. Uh, and I think that's a lot, again, what, what, I think, again, I think there was a powerful songwriting combination with Burgess and, and Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Um, much like I think he knew, Harry just knew how to interpret that song with the vocals perfect. And uh that's why you know again um it just uh you know I just think this I think this one I think this one gets a little overshadowed maybe by uh obviously the the banana Boat song and uh a woman smarter but um but yeah, yeah uh but I love this this is one of my favorite uh types of things um um that I had and this was uh you know um the other thing is um I think there was some again I think there was some um, oh, why am I just keeping folklore? You know, I think there was some, this came from traditional sources. This song, and Lord Burr just kind of put it together,
1: yeah, yeah. Which, oh, is yeah, no, good it's at. a great song. I love yeah. that song. It's a very good, Calypso is a
0: very good album. I mean, if you're going back and you're starting, like, well, you want to start with Harry, Harry Belafonte, Calypso is the album to go to, oh, um,
1: yeah, and yeah, then
0: yeah. you'll appreciate some of the other stuff he's done down the line,
1: yeah, and we'll hit on. I mean, it's the most accessible. It's the one that most people, like, you know, know. Yeah. So we got... So so I start going, like, off the... Uh, off the uh, trail here, Coop. Yep. Because uh, the next one I chose is... Uh, oh, I got plenty of nothing. And the reason right. for that is... It is off of a Porgy and Bess record with Lena Horn Coop. Oh,
0: okay. I, that so, is where, where it landed. That's why I was wondering
1: where it landed, yeah. So this is, I mean, I think I'm jumping all around the, like, chronology. That's fine. But, uh, but there's a couple things. It harkens back to, like, his time in theater and shows and live music and stuff. And also with Lena Horn so Harry does a number of records with uh women artists like duet stuff like that uh, and this is a duet this song this is why I chose it there's a lot of songs on this <laughs> record that like just Harry sings or just Lena sings and so this is I think this is more the duet one um very yeah. jazzy as well
0: you know, a very um, in, something that he started getting into is again when he started expanding his or uh hmm. what he was doing yeah
1: yeah, so it shows another, I guess, genre for him, like quite jazzy. We'll get into some uh, another famous uh, duet album he does. But no, it's just uh, interesting, uh, different genre. This jazzy genre sort of harkens back to the, his earlier uh, stage stuff and everything. And, uh, and yeah, and Lena Horn, man. I mean, you got to have that. It's very good, very good jazzy, uh, jazzy record. Yep. This is a song, this was a George Gers- Gershwin song yes
0: <laughs> so Off of uh so p- from Porgy and Bess yep so Toto little Toto Toto Connection. here we go Toto did a song called Georgie Porgy and you know George Gershwin wrote uh you know this song for Porgy and Bess. so that's where if you heard the song Georgie Porgy by um Toto this it's kind of a, a throwback and kind of homage to this here we're talking about you know uh who loves all the Toto references it's Aaron Oh, Aaron. Yeah, he. Uh, he loves de- it. We debated it. You know, his problem with that, his problem with <laughs> Africa was the was the Serengeti line it, 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 that came out. I I gave him a lot of the background that we talked about with that song. Not to digress, but he he just can't get past that line with the Serengeti.
2: Cannot,
0: <laughs> I think it's the best line of the song. So I I don't know what he's thinking, but 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 that's where he was. That's where his problem was with that.
1: Now this next one. Uh it was very interesting. I did not really know a lot about this song until I saw the show notes and had a listen. So I'm this is great. Yep, and all right. So Harry
0: Belafonte um we're, we're, I'm going to his his uh his next album right now um which yeah. was is the Monster 3 Evening with Belafonte 1957. Mm-hmm. And once this is a traditional song and if you if you it's a song that Harry Belafonte, it's not that he just covered this. It became part of his shows for many many years, um, and it's a song that unless you watch some of these live shows or follow them, you're probably not aware of this. Uh, it's Haban Habanagila. That's uh, yeah, that's surprising to me. So yeah. this is a Jewish folk song. Mm. This is a now I believe now you were talking about. And I should have this is I didn't pick this up when I was doing my research. I believe this was very much influenced from his time in New York, which has a, a Jewish population. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I believe that this, but but this Haben Naglio, you you've heard this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. And he Yeah, I'm not gonna try to sing it, but he um yeah. it's it, it's probably the most popular Jewish folk song. Uh and here you have this Calypso, uh folky artist. Like he's folky, but he delivers this great. I mean, he does a great job with this song. Um, He really, really shines on this. It's like, you know, and it kind of, again, it showed he's very versatile. This is when you're now, we're into his fourth album. This is his third hit in a row album. Now we're starting to see Harry, but finally, you know, he's got this versatility. Um, That's a real gift. Um, Like I said, this is, he does great homage to that song. And it's a, it's a wonderful version. It became, like not just something covered; it became part of his act for many, many, many years uh, after that. Um, and but it's it's also a, it's by the way it's a it's a very uh, modern um, folk song for, from the Jewish perspective. And this song is always played at Jewish weddings. So this song is always sometimes you'll see this played when the uh, groom br- tradition in Jewish weddings is to break a glass or to go up on the chairs. That's mm-hmm. when you'll see this song played. Um, so. Uh, it, it is, it is, but like I said, Harry Belafonte uh, is very much, uh, like I said, when I read this, he, basically the note was he rarely gave a concert without singing it. So he was very, very, mm. this was very much part of his
1: repertoire. He loved this song. That's why I picked it. No, it's great. I, it's, it's a very, um, I mean, like we're doing with Harry, a lot of discovery of Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I did yeah. not know that that is
0: crazy. By the way, then there's a lot of artists that covered this song. Um, I can just I'll just rattle a few. Chubby oh, Checker. Chubby Checker, and really? probably, the most fam- probably the most famous one is Neil Diamond. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan, and we're going to talk about a Bob Dylan connection in a little bit. With with yes, Harry.
1: that I. fascinating that one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh,
0: of course, Lena Horne and, and and even the East Street Band has played this uh, at some really? con- at one concert. Yeah, they played at one concert in Florida in 2009. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that song had such a history. It, it really has a hit. A lot of people like said it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, if you look at the Jewish folk music, it's it's the most popular song. It's just, you know, Harry Belafonte really, really uh,
1: loved this song. He loved it this, loved performing this song. Hey, a call out to all our Jewish brothers and sisters listening to the show. Email me, jukebox at gmail.com. Let me know more about this song. Yeah. Like why? Like why is everybody covering it? Like g- give me give me something. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm loving it. Yeah, I I
0: really think it was because it was such a celebratory song. It became at, at celebrations. I think that's yeah. where why people covered it. Well, Hey, like uh, I said, I know Neil Diamond. I knew the Neil Diamond version. That's oh, probably yeah. the one I knew. Um, but and we we have to get the Neil Diamond show going. But oh, yeah, like I, said, right. I I I did not know Chubby Checker covered it. Glenn
1: Campbell also covered it. Hey. Like I said, to all our uh, brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith out in uh, Jukebox, jukebox at gmail.com. Let me know some more about this song. Yep, absolutely. Because I am fascinated by it. Um, Right, okay. So we've gotten jazz. We've gotten calypso. We've gotten folk. Now we're going to go to blues, Coop. Yep. Uh, A Fool for You. This is off of the Belafonte Sings the Blues record. Um and uh very bluesy, kind of has a Billy Holiday vibe to it. Uh the the sort of the, the structure and everything. Um he'll do a couple blues records. I think he does another one. But I mean, I guess it just it just shows his versatility, trying out new genres, his range. That I mean, there's very few artists that could, like, do a Calypso record and then go do a blues record and then go do a jazz record. You know what I mean? Um, So it's it's showing his range as an artist, uh, his versatility. uh, And just that he's willing to, like, dabble in these different genres. Like, we don't really see that much anymore. Um, I mean, the closest, not the closest, but you sort of got, like, Taylor Swift sort of was kind of a pop country like maybe more traditional country when she first started. It's like a pop country to like straight synth pop to now folk indie pop. So she sort of has tried a lot of different things. Um, But you don't see like such big swings like this much anymore. You see kind of artists evolve, but I mean maybe Bowie did this when he was like rock and then did like an EDM (laughs) record and then like so he would have these big uh, genre tonal swings. But you don't really see that much anymore, Coop. Like, especially what Harry's doing. No. Like, he's an established artist, right? Like, he could keep putting out Calypso records and make a ton of money, right? But he's doing all this different stuff, which you, which you don't really see from modern artists anymore. No, he didn't. And, you know. Blues was definitely we're getting to
0: that '60s period where blues was kind of evolving into its own thing, and but this was much more of a traditional
1: type of blues album. I have a song off Mm. this one too. I'm gonna pick, but yeah, like a a big change. It's, I mean, the way it sounded, it's sort of like a like an early '30s type of blues. It's like a, like like almost like a Billy Holiday blues, yeah, smoky supper club type Mm -hmm. of feel, yeah, like early early '20s, early '30s, which would make sense. Because that would have been the music he would have been exposed to as a child. That sort of like you know when he was growing up in the twenties and thirties and stuff that he would like, you know, have more of that vibe. But, but yeah, it's a very traditional blues sound. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: and that album, I don't want to say he he totally split from Lord Burgess. He didn't, but um. He, he was working with different songwriters at this point, because that wasn't yep. Lord Burgess's forte. There's some Lord Burgess's songs that he still did after that. But for the yep. most part, you know, this is when he started changing. And also Harry, I believe start, this is when Harry actually also started to, um, no, not on this album. A little later is when he started writing songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Billy Holiday wrote one song off the Belafonte sings the blues album. It was God bless the child. That makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds he, like her. Yeah. So Definitely that influence was felt there. Ray Charles wrote a couple of songs off that album like three or four songs. Yeah, uh, keep us going, Coop. Keep us, Uh, keep it, keep it happening. All right, so one of my favorites is this one. It's also off evening (laughs) with Bella Bonte. uh, Mm Susu Ru Susu Paloma. This is Spanish. This song's in Spanish. Yeah, all right, so he sings the whole song in Spanish, uh, again. You know, Calypso is more. I can see him if he's singing a French song, but he's singing this song yeah. in um, in Spanish. Um, and what I love about this song, and it's one of my favorite songs of his, right? Um, it it has, first of all, it has that feeling of like Don Quixote in Spain. Yeah, like it, it's a throwback to that, and because of that, it has like a theatrical element to this song. Um, which I think, like I said, I think it's one of the more, un- it's, it's, it is a song. It's, it's, it wasn't like released as a single, I don't believe, but it is a popular song that he did, uh um, in, in concert. Um, and like I said, it was not written by Lord Burgess. He actually had a guy named Thomas Mendez write this song. Mm. Um, but, but, uh, he, uh, you know, he is Thomas Mendez had that Don Quixote he wrote a lot of Mexican types of, uh, I don't want to say he was totally a Mexican, um, he wasn't really as much of a. Um, he wrote that Mexican revolution type song. Right, right, right. That's right. what he kind of wasn't. So he wrote a lot of stuff with that. Maybe I should have picked like, the Casa 1910 out. I'm thinking about it. But mm. the song, very much said the Don Quixote feel, the theatrical. Like you listen to it, it's, It's a very complex arrangement in that song, too. It, it, uh, and like I say, he sings the whole thing in Spanish on that song.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. So, again, this guy is not a one-trick pony is what I'm trying to show. A, a Jewish folk song. I'm showing some of the Jamaican stuff. Now I'm showing something that's more Spanish. And, and this is where he he just shines. He just – what he did turned to gold when he did it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, his vocal delivery is so good. And he's so – I mean, I, I said this about uh Janelle Monet, right? So, right. Janelle Monet She's an amazing actor. She can sing really well. She kind of is like that person in school that did like eight things and they were all like really good. Yeah. Um, That's like, that's like, that's like uh, Harry Belafonte. He like, does film? That's great. Does theater? That's great. I'll do the blues. That's great. I'll do jazz. That's great. (laughs) Like he's such a great artist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're talking a
0: lot of, you know, there's a lot of different things he's done with that. He kind of reminds me of the Tom Hanks of music. Uh yeah. I think Tom Hanks is an actor. You he... can put him into any type of role. And he He'll, can do yeah, it. make it happen. Comedy, drama, thriller, you name it, uh, he can do it, right? Um, so the only thing I think Tom Hanks hasn't really done is a musical. That's probably the only but yeah. Good. So Belafonte is the same That I think it. I think what his vocals on the banana boat song, I, why it's such important is I think those vocals was so good. I think it really, some of the people he was working with songwriters and producers said, you know what? This guy can, this guy's got a voice and it clearly can translate oh. the genres.
1: And it's such a, yeah, it's such a versatile voice too. Yep. You know, it's like, yep. I could, you couldn't have like muddy waters go do like, you know, a Calypso album.
2: You know what I mean? Yep.
1: Yep, like, exactly. Oh, and speaking of vocal coop, I'm gonna have a sip of my Pepsi here. Go for it. You go do that. Pepsi Max, man. Yep. Drink of champions. I, I I was gonna have a bang in honor of uh of Mike. Does he still drink those though? I think so. I haven't seen him maybe in a while, so I couldn't say that. I had a cotton candy one, but I couldn't wait. I had to drink it. I love that <laughs> drink. I'm a child, coop. Really. I had. Um. I, had, I was falling asleep driving back
0: from New York last year and I got one of those that woke me right up. Ooh. The
1: cotton candy it's like a cotton candy soda, yeah. <laughs> cotton candy and birthday cake, man. Um send your send your hate mail to at gmail.com, because I don't think Mike likes those flavors at all. I love them though. I love birthday cake flavored anything. Um now if you want good vocals coop, bald-headed woman. So this is a track that um, I'm gonna have to look up the record again. I I had it, but I didn't write it down because I wasn't prepared for, to do that for some reason. But it is a track. This is it's. It gets back to folk, folk and activism, because it's a track about breaking the shackles. It's very. It has a lot of um, similarities to kind of those I, for lack of a better term like it studied like the slave gospels like um, sort of those gospel songs that slave would sing that were about freedom and breaking the shackles and they'd sing it in the fields to sort of send messages to each other about escaping in the underground railroad and stuff like that um, it has a lot of connections to that this is off the record um uh, it's just uh, the record is uh, "Swing That Hammer," which I think you have a song off of Coop. "Swing That Hammer" by uh, Harry Belafonte. Uh huh. It has a lot of got. It's it all. It is is his vocal a slight stand up bass, like way back in the mix, like that you could barely notice it, and then like hand clapping. It is intense this song. Bald-Headed Woman. And his vocal is amazing. I love this song. I did not discover this song until I did this show because I was listening to that record, probably for the first time. And it has this gospel vibe. It has this folk vibe. So, again, we're seeing him go back to folk music, kind of his uh, home, really. Like his original genre, like going back there and putting together an incredible song. Like, this song's really so good, good. Really,
0: really good. Yeah. Going back to the folk here with that, um, for sure. And then
1: just the boldness of like the arrangement is just like a little bit of stand up bass and like clapping. And it is so intense. Cause he's, he must be singing it. So he's, so he's not in a studio. It sounds like he's singing <laughs> it in like, like on stage or something. Because there's this echo to the vocal that you wouldn't get in a sound room, so he's got to be recording it like in a hall or something, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing.
0: Uh, you know, this it's from Swing That Hammer, um, and that was a like that was kind of an album. I mean, it's described as a chain gang type of album. Yep. Uh, so yeah it has, it has that's I think where some of that clapping comes from um this won a Grammy Award this album not for album of the year but like uh sure, again it went back it went back for folk best folk recording it was I
1: think uh, I think too we're gonna get into we're talking about activism like some of his song and music choices so like when we're looking here in about like breaking like a lot of songs about breaking the shackles like you're saying the chain game like freedom is around the time of civil rights. And there's another song that I'll talk about that he sung in 63. That's a cover. But his choice to sing it, I think, was very purposeful and connects to his sort of activism as well.
0: Yeah. You know, the thing about that, uh, this song and Swing the Hammer, this was 1960 when this album came. Mm. It was still a little early before. We started really seeing the civil rights movement happen. And I almost felt like he was a little bit of ahead of its time with this album. Mm. Like, I felt like, you know, he was singing about stuff that five or six years later, that's what a lot of people were saying. But he was doing this back in 1960, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting.
1: No, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the, you yeah, did you already have a track off of that or you're having I, a track off of that? I don't, actually, I don't. I thought did.
0: Anyway, I actually I don't, yeah, but I should. I mean, this is where I, um, I mean, I know uh, there was a couple I was I was looking at with this one, and, and that was Maybe one that. of the songs. I might, yeah, I was looking at that one and another man done gone. Uh, in oh, that, uh, yeah.
1: Well, go ahead. Take us, take us, uh, take us somewhere, Coop. Take us, uh, take us to town here.
0: All right. Uh, so I am going. I am uh, on Belafonte sings the blues. So I'm a little behind you. Um, he covered a Ray Charles song called "Losing Hand." Uh, Ray, again Ray Charles was part of that album um that was just um it was just such a um what's what it was such a soulful recording this is again you want to talk about that thirty Supper Club it's such a soulful voice he brings on with that song um and like I said this was really a song that was made more popular by Ray Charles but Harry Belafonte... Delivers as good, if not a better, version of this one, in my opinion. Uh, it is a, it is a real. Like I said it's just that 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 supper club jazz, or uh, that mm. soulful voice. That you know, you know, you, you just feel like you're you're in the smoke filled room in the '30s. That's yeah. right. Um, great, great track. It was really, you know, again, it was hard to pick songs off like one song off. Uh, Harry Belafonte sings the blues, but again, that was a big change for him. That album too. And it's not like he's stuck with that forever either, but but he went and did that. And again, more he's adding another feather into this resume of versatility that, that is amazing. Like I said, it was mm. very hard to get this down to eight when I did it. It was, But we would be here for two days. I've been doing it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, Coop. Enough, you know, hipster Belafonte. Enough talking about genre and depth and, you know, Let's get let's get back to the bread and butter here. Jump up Calypso in nineteen sixty one. Yeah, we'll, we'll
0: come back to that. Yeah.
1: So, if you were to ask your average Harry Belafonte person on the street, they'd probably say he made two albums: the Calypso album and Jump Up Calypso. Right. And they're like, "That's all he did, right?" Um, and no, but so he puts this out in sixty one. So you could see. He's gone through all these genres jazz, blues, folk a couple times really bold song choices like duet albums like he's doing everything right he's he's doing sound like film and he's all over the place and he decides to go back to calypso which um the song i chose is jump in the line because a lot of people have heard that song and it's an amazing song i love the energy on the song i love the song to death it was in beetlejuice it's the best song i love oh yeah uh, i forgot it was in beetlejuice oh yeah beetlejuice yeah. phenomenal i just love the energy i have this record on vinyl the original pressing thank you very much and uh i play it often i'll probably play it today uh so as you see through what coop and i have been talking about he sort of goes back and forth between folk and calypso And I think a lot of that is that connection with Calypso is connected to home because of that time he spent with his mother in Jamaica and being surrounded by that sort of music and really connecting with it um, because he wasn't connecting with the English education system. He was more connecting with this music that he's hearing in the streets and it really brings him back to home. So I think folk and... Calypso are his two sort of comfortable genres that he keeps like falling back towards for that sense of home, that sense of connectedness, and, and and jump up calypso is is evidence of that. So like he's tried all these different genres, he finds himself back in calypso, back in sort of like you know this connection to home, uh, and he makes another amazing calypso record. I mean by now in '61 we're what like five years removed. Um, you have Calypso sort of taking off more in Jamaica, making more of that reggae sound. Um, And you have uh, this, which is, I guess, far more of an evolved Calypso record where you kind of are seeing a a lot more links to that reggae in these songs, I think. um, That five years apart. And uh, he's a different artist now, too. So he's bringing in all these experiences to this to this record, and it's just a great record. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say the Calypso album and this record are like the two most people know. Um, but it, but like, if you look at how what Coop and I have done through go, trying to go chronologically, like, I jumped around, but I didn't go ahead of this record. Um, like look at all the stuff he's done in between the Calypso records, Coop. Like that in that just in that five year period. Like that's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, he you know, it was um when he changed, he wasn't afraid to go back and yeah. kind of re embrace some of the some of the things that he had done. So he's building this, like I said, this great versatile catalog, but he it's not like he you know, we say a lot of times an artist evolves. Yeah. It, and sometimes they transition when they evolve. In this case, yeah. like I think of like, like when I think of like transition, like Linda Ronstadt was a good example. She went from rock to like this big band type of singer, you know, later in mm. her career. But she kind of abandoned the rock stuff, you know. Harry Belafonte didn't abandon what he was doing. There.
1: No, I mean, I think what's interesting too, Coop, is you look at like modern music, and it just also reminds us of how prolific these artists were. Yep. Because some some like like Lord, for example, it takes her four, four years, years just to put out a record. Like there's four years in between records. Yep. This is five years in between Calypso and Jump Up Calypso. We're looking fifty six to sixty one. And he put out what? Four or five records in that time? Yep. Maybe maybe more. Plus like all the film and other stuff he was doing. It's crazy. Sure. Extremely prolific. Yep. All right. I I took a lot of space with that song. So what not do you at got? All. Sorry not, about
0: that. No, not at all. You did not. Um I'm going now to nineteen sixty two and I'm going to oh. an album called Mid- the Midnight Special. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. And I'm going yeah. to the song The Midnight Special. Uh so Harry, you know, so here's the deal with this album. This is he goes with this album, Midnight Special. This is much more of a southern blues type of album. Yes. So yes. it's it's not quite that supper jazzy blues, but this is more that, you know, that southern, you know, Mississippi Delta blue kind of album he's doing. And Midnight Special is the first track off that album. And the first thing you hear on that album is a harmonica. Mm. And it is a harmonica by one none other than Bob Dylan. That's insane. Now, for many years, it was assumed that Bob Dylan, that was the first recording he ever did of anything. Um, but now right. I, now they're, according to what they're saying, it, it, they found something that might have been recorded a little earlier than that. Um, I guess they found some stuff in the vaults that goes back to 61 with something. Okay. Um, where he was working with uh, a singer named Carolyn Hester. Um, and According to that, it was 1960. But but yeah, he this is a a, a traditional song, midnight special, and uh, most of the songs on here are traditional, like southern blues types of songs. So again, he it's this is very different than you know Belafonte sings the blues. I think with this album because I think it's it's a different style of blues he tackles with this album. And mm. you know, look like when you start an album off with the Bob or Dylan harmonica, um, That's right. uh, and it doesn't overshadow the song. It, it, it Harry's vocals totally complement this. Um, so you know, there's a but this album was loaded, loaded with traditional folk songs and traditional blues mm. songs. In this, um, you know, it has a on this album they have on top of Old Smokies in there. So he's yeah, right, but, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh. It's this is a yeah this is another great example of of this album. Um, I don't know how well this album did, but it was very well received mm. by the critics. The critics really love this album, but I don't know how. I don't think it sold a ton of
1: albums. This one, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's also like what's what I find interesting about it too, is to have uh Bob on it. Right? It's sort of like this whole. New York folky scene sort of thing you know yeah like yeah Harry doing folk you got Bob on the record yeah Bob's done that too he did that with um John Prine too I think he might have
0: I'm not sure he, I think you're right Bob likes to pop up on things yeah the other thing that's really interesting about this song he's got a very smooth voice for a blues artist
2: Yes. And this is yes. I
0: guess the best way to put it. And it contrasts really well with that Bob Dylan harmonica in here.
1: I mean his vocal is just so impeccable,
2: really. Yeah. Yep. Uh,
1: ah all right. Now back to folk. We're all we're going back to folk. He's going, you know. He's getting back to uh what made him the artist he was. So he did jump in the line. Off of Jump Up Calypso in 61. And then in 63, this is like the height of his activism and stuff. He goes back to his folk, folk, uh, folk roots, but also with this sort of civil rights edge to things. And he does, This Land Is Your Land, which is like a traditional song. Like on the face of it, yep, you're like, so. Oh, yeah, like that's a traditional folk song. Yep. But you got to put yourself. In the place of this getting released in '63 and being sung by a black artist who, you know, grew up in New York, sure left to Jamaica for a while, then came back. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think his selection of this song and doing it is very overtly uh, a, a civil rights message. Like this long belongs to you and me. Like is the core yeah. lyric. Um, you know, and this is the so, sort of the whole crux stuff of the civil rights movement. I mean I mean, uh Nina Simone was also doing around this time, you know, a lot of civil rights songs about being proud to be black and, and those sorts of things, whereas Harry is now taking a spin on a um folk song that that was also done by Woody Guthrie to the same effect. Whereas he was talking more about this long, this land belongs to like the working class as well. Like he was doing more of a class thing. Um, whereas Belfonté, I think, in choosing this song, is is expressing like the core goal of or central theme of human rights, which is like, well, this land is mine as well as yours, and I should be treated equally like you, you know, is sort of like the drive behind this track, and I really like he's selecting it at this time. Um, with all the activism stuff he's already doing uh, as as I think is a lot of sort of like, lends a lot of weight uh, to this track. Um, Yeah, and I found it interesting that that's sort of the track he chose. This, Um, that, that,
0: yeah. This is another uh, album I missed a song off of. mm. Um, Because this this is from streets I have walked. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was well, to say this was his last hit album. Great cover, and he's got. He, so again, you kind of look at what he's done on this album. There's a song it wasn't very popular off the album, but it's 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 worth noting called Sakura, and mm-hmm. it's a great track. It did it, it. It first of all, I believe it's all sung in Japanese. Right, it's a Japanese folk song. But what's really amazing about that song, and like I said, this is a deep cut I'm talking about from Harry Belafonte. Conde, it's got this gospel vibe on top of it. Mm. um, and I thought like there was a gospel vibe throughout this whole album, uh mm. for the most part. Mm. We, this one is your one's a little different, but but yeah, I mean, it was again, it just shows the versatility of this guy,
1: yeah, and I I just think it's interesting to see in some of these song choices his activism sort of coming through which is which is with other artists at this time but i mean it's just to pick this song especially the do yeah i agree i mean this one
0: definitely you know and this is this is like i said we're getting to the, the point where he was just i don't want to say he was in decline but his run was beginning to come to an end and his his life was going to take a different course going mm. forward
1: because so I think the other thing to remember, it's not like Harry Belafonte at this time is still widely known. I mean, so it's not like his activism would be a secret. Like, he's marching with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. yeah. So he would be bringing all of that to this record. So it's not like, you know, you know, it's not like people aren't aware of what's going on. So I think it just gives it added weight yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. I agree. There, there's a this. This album is the. This is the album that floats under the radar. And streets I've walked is a great album. A lot of traditional yeah. songs on it. Um, there's some. Uh, there's some great musicians on that album as well. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, when he did Midnight Special, um, you know, like I said, he that was the album before that. But yeah, he just again, he just found a way to change it up
1: after that. Yeah. How are you closing us out here Cooper? Well, How I you didn't really ha- your, your I, song list I, out I should say. Yeah, so again,
0: I I had to get a social thing in there. So I went to the end of his career. His last album in um 1988 was his last studio album was Paradise and Gazan Kulu. Mm. It was an album this came out in 88. This is when the whole apartheid move anti-apartheid mm. movement really started to come to a head. We're getting into this is the late '80s when this was, and he comes out with an album, um, which was, um, you know, uh, just spectacular. I mean, it's a spectacular album. It's the most underrated album in in uh, in 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 um, his career. It's a conceptual album. It deals with the, the plight of Black Africans in the apartheid system. Mm-hmm. Um. My, my favorite song on the album actually I didn't pick it uh is Cape Town but the song that he is probably known for is skin to skin um mm. and on this album he did uh, he did several duets with this album uh with several people and uh in this case he uh he picked uh Jennifer Warrens um, to do the, to do vocals on this one um right Dave if you go through the production notes of the session musicians that we use on here this, this is a is Brian crazy. Wilson. This is a Brian Wilson type of session. They, they, <laughs> there's got to be about forty session musicians that were brought onto this album. But that, but skin the skin, I think is the one that probably was the one that was a hit off of it. Um, and you know, I go back. I, I don't know how this album never even got Grammy considered. It, it was that. It was that. You know, back in the '80s, the Grammys were like they were going back and embracing artists who like were popular twenty years earlier. Right. Steve yes. Winwood's like a good example of that. Tina Turner, right. But mm. this one I'm just shocked this is a such a great album and it, it, no one talks about this album because it was so late in his career. Um, yes. and that, uh, the, the vocal delivery uh with him and Jennifer Warrens, um, who I think a lot of people have probably heard of is um it's just something really really uh uh re- really um special and if you if you don't remember who uh Jennifer Warrens is she was like the ultimate female duet person. Uh, she did with Joe Cocker's "Up Where We Belong," and she mm. did Bill Medley's "I've Had the Time of My Life." So uh, she was like that one, like the the ultimate like female duet person you brought in, and she does a great job with this track. This album is a is a fantastic album as well. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm just it. I, I don't know why it didn't become such a hit. I know it was very, it was a very politically charged album, but most people mm. were behind the cause here. So I don't, think it was yeah, a yeah, 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 Uh But I would advise if if anyone is like wants to hear really a good conceptual album, and this is, and and he kind of incorporates different styles into this album. But that 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 song, um, like I said, I just think that that duet with Jennifer Warren
1: stands out here. No, excellent, yeah. excellent. I I actually end with a duet as well, Coop. Oh, okay. My Angel, which is probably the best-known track off of an amazing record, which I think you had as one of those higher-selling ones uh, when we first started here. Uh, But it is... Oh, yeah, there we go. So this is the Grand Slam winner. So this is, like, part of the... When you were talking of the uh, Grammy Awards? Yep. So this is 65... And this is the album with Miriam Makeba, the uh, iconic. I don't, think, I don't think it was uh, on a Harry
0: album. This was on another album, wasn't it?
1: I was don't it? know. Well, this is uh, this is with a song with Miriam Makeba. Yeah, it's Harry Belfonte and Miriam Makeba. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's still a Harry Belafonte song. I'm not assuming. Yeah. I, I, e- e- I think it's an evening
0: with Belafonte. Okay, okay, maybe it is on that one. Okay,
1: this is my angel. Uh, Miriam Akiba, amazing artist African artist uh sings a lot in in uh, uh koksa which which you know she would done here as well um much like the porgy and best record there's a number of tracks that are like just Miriam or just Harry you know and so I'll try to find one with both of them on it and, and that's my angel um like I said, he's done a number of duets. This is extremely good. I think his duet work with Mir McKeeba is most well-known. It's on um, the second evening with Harry Belphine. Yeah, that's yeah. what. Oh, it. second like, evening. You would have two the McKee name on it, yes. But it's amazing. Um, Nuts, no, it's great. Uh, Two amazing vocalists. That it's great to hear them together. Like I said... And a lot of these duet tracks with Harry, it's sort of like Harry sings one, they sing one, Harry sings one, they sing one. So yeah. I tried to get one with both of them on it, which is this one. The kind of alternate okay. versus.
0: Yeah, the answer is um, can't. why I was showing up on my list is this is a jointly credited uh, album. Oh, so, well there we go. Yeah, m- m- yeah, that's why. Miriam McKee. And they kind of split the vocals on this whole album. Yeah, I could've They
1: do, which which they he sort of did with Lena Horne as well. Yeah, yeah. Um but it's it's amazing. It's a great great track. So take a listen, and it just shows off. Like I said, I mean, because doing a duet well is also a skill, right? Yeah. Like, um, you could have songs that are credited as duets, but really, it's just like the 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 woman comes on the like, comes on the, uh, comes on the chorus, and then that's about it. Where where you know you have to really especially the two well established singers you got they got to be able to share the share the room without like you know taking up too much of the oxygen from the other person and giving him time to to shine so it's quite a good it's quite a skill a good if, duet if
0: you haven't followed Miriam Makeba's story people um, what a story she's got uh, you know she was born into in South Africa just apartheid and she's got it's just, I'm surprised no one's done a movie about her. Oh, you reckon it's, they yeah, would be? It's we could do a whole show on her. It, like she, yeah. Um, it's just yeah. She and she passed away about 15 years ago, but um, yeah. Uh, just completely uh, really uh, one of the great South African musicians uh of all time. Just yeah, uh, and
1: like that album with Harry Belfonte was much earlier in her career. She did that. Yeah, I mean I would think a similar South African artist that's that that is also really well regarded and stuff. A modern one would be Angeli Kijo. Uh Kijo had a
0: lot yeah, she had a lot of influence uh, off that too. Uh God I love Angeli Kijo. Yeah, she's very uh very uh I Saw her
1: in concert. She was nice.
0: She uh actually she performed uh at the uh live eight concert. They had they did it on every continent, and she was at the uh the, the concert in South Africa in Johannesburg. Um, but uh, you know, she really it's kind of like she brought this South Africa became this like world music, it's called you know, um, uh, which is kind of you know, it's a uh, it's a mix of music, world music. Yeah. I, I look, it's like kind of this hybrid of different uh fusions and
1: stuff. Um, uh, but you know, she's really good. Oh yeah, I saw her she played out in Australia. I saw her play at a music festival that she does a song with um Dave Matthews and Dave Matthews is also at the music festival and they did the song together. Oh wow. On stage. And she's oh. still putting on music, Edgley Kijo, so check her out. Um oh, yeah. final thoughts, Will. On uh on uh well I mean it's hard. Let's just you say, like, Hey, let's just do a couple dot points on like one of the greatest singers in American history.
0: Yeah, we you know, I said we could have probably done a whole day here. Um and you know, one thing is like um I you know, I, I had some familiar with Harry Belafonte. Um you these albums he he very much was an album artist. Um mm. is what I'll say. And you know, you you can put a compilation together of it, but I think this is someone you want to have more of an album oriented listen to. Um, because the songs he did a good job at I said just changing up in these different styles and um you could see how I think some music influenced the other music and how it all came across. But you know, again, you can, we we can't dispute um the contributions he's made to, to social activism too. Which is mm. really what the second half of his life was, I think, more devoted to. Um, so it is a uh you know, he like I say he lived a great life. Um and uh you know he, uh, but but an amazing, amazing, um, amazing, amazing artist. I mean, just uh, you know it. Uh, you know, you know. Okay, there's another thing people don't know about Harry Belafonte. I didn't mention. I wanted to mention this was involved with the whole "We Are the World" thing. Yes,
1: he was. I read
0: yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. So he was. So he was actually in the recording studio with that. Uh but he was in the chorus. He was in the, like some of the chorus. So uh, he is on that track. He was involved very heavily on that album as well. And, he, and I think that kind of gets a little, because he didn't have like a, like Ray Charles had, I think the solo. He didn't have a solo, he didn't know? have a solo, but uh, you know, he was in the chorus with that. So, uh, and there were a lot of great artists in the chorus for that song. So again, he was very, I mean, that was a very socially conscious uh, F project as well. So, um, and, and he, he should have had a solo on that one. That was kind of a, Yeah. Yeah. What, what, I, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. Like, I mean, just his life and his career. Like he's had, like I said, like Coop said, I mean, he's won every major award. Yeah. He's like you see him in pictures with John F. Kennedy. He's meeting with Barack Obama. Like he's everywhere. Yep. And he's such a such a force. And you saw that um, from like the outpouring of of messages and stuff when, when they announced his death. Um, And I think I want people to remember how rich his music is. Like a good entry point, we'll talk about this later, like a good entry point might be the Calypso. But then to use that to sort of look at all these other albums and stuff that Coop and I are talking about. um, And really explore his whole, like the depth of his uh, music. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, I I love putting the show together. Yeah, this. And I like love this. doing these these deep dives. I
0: love it. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. You learn as much as you, you know. You learn a lot when you do this too. Like you think you know something, and then you you kind of explore it, and and you learn more with that. So mm. it, it just like I said, there was a lot where you know I started listening to deep cuts and all that, and so it was it was really good. So again, if you like the banana boat song, and, and again, it is I'm not. Taking away, it's a very important song in in the music history and in his, in his career. But there's so much you're missing if you're if you're not looking at this portfolio as a whole. Um, and and I, here's the other thing I I'll take from this when he made these like when he went into these different genres, right? It, I didn't like I didn't go like What are we? I didn't have the question like the quote says. What are we doing you're
1: here? Like, what are we What are we doing here? What are we
0: doing here? No, what's going it, on? Yeah, I, I've I've said that with some other artists sometimes, but but not this. I never felt like he had a filler album, a or, or filler tracks. I never thought that, right? Um, and if anything, if he if he used filler, he went to traditional music to go do that. So, um, and that's not filler; it was good stuff. So, mm. um, well, you know, I say this a lot. He was ninety six. His career was, you know, sixty to seventy years ago. You know, you know. I hope his music doesn't get lost. No. I mean, I really hope it doesn't because it is it, some great contributions here. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Kennedy Center honors guy. Like I said, oh, he won the Grand everything. Slam. I mean, he's had the three in a row. This guy, everything he's done. Uh, this was a
1: you know it, big. It was a big loss for the music industry. Mm. I think we should do see what Coop and I do right is we have a list of shows that we're going to do, but yeah. we always end up crossing all those shows off because we think of shows during our shows. Yeah. And we got to do a, what are they doing? Like, what are we doing here show? What we got to do, doing? Seth on. <laughs> Seth, Seth, Tuna, I don't know if you listen to the show this late in the show. You might have given up already. But we got to have you on the show. And we got to do the Seth, what are we doing here show. Where we look at an artist and a band and a song. And like, what are we doing? What yeah. are we doing here? That
0: was the famous, by the way, if you don't know that quote, there was a review. What, was it a was it a Provada review? I think it was a. It Pro- cigar bun. It was a cigar, Cig- yeah, cigar bun, cigar bun, and Seth's just like they they smoke the cigar and and when it gets successful,
1: what are your thoughts? What are we doing, <laughs> what, here? What, what are we doing here? I watch that, no lie, like once a week that review because it just brings me joy. <laughs> it's so funny. There we go. we go, whole show on that, yeah. Seth, I'm calling you out. You yeah. probably aren't even listening, but. We'll we'll remind you about it. We'll try and yeah. do it because that would yeah. be great. It would be really cool because like you know, it would be doing ch- here? yeah.
0: <laughs> What's going on?
1: Um all right. Cigars.
0: Where are you at, Coop? Oh, this is great. This is smoking with some a on it. It's got this great baker spice that's going through this right now. It's it's definitely gotten a little milder, so I'd say this is on the low end of medium right now. Um, it's just a fantastic smoke. There's, like I said, some, some chocolate flavors, natural tobacco, the Baker's spices in here. Like I said, it's, it's mellowed considerably, uh, because I haven't smoked yes. one in a while, but it is, it is a great cigar. This is the, again, if you missed it, I'm smoking the War Bear Perfecto from Postani.
1: I gotta, I gotta, I smoked those too fast. I gotta try and ate some. Yeah. I smoke them too quickly. Because I, ne- I haven't had one with a lot of age on it. I should do that. Yeah, I want to say this is four or
0: five years old, this cigar. Because they only did one run of these cigars, these, these Perfectos.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh. So, I'm about this far in. I'm just past the label, maybe right before where the label would be. This is an excellent cigar coupe. Yep. It's rich. Right now, it's just sort of like rich chocolate and coffee. But before this... You're getting like some syrupy, like citrusy, blueberry type notes. Oh my god! The first half of this cigar is just magic. Um, it's still it's not to say it's not performing well because it still is, but the first half of this cigar, coupe, is just out of this world. I think, especially if you're a Maduro lover like I yeah, am, you get yeah, some it, great it, flavors a, in there.
0: It's a San Andreas Maduro, but it's so different than um wise man mm. like so that the olmec's made at aj the wise man's made at Aganarsa, which are the two factory and they're, and they're just two totally different cigars as i say and you talk about that syrupy note what i like about it is mm. normally i don't like it when the syrupy note gets very like heavy and jammy it's not quite that yeah. heavy syrup but it's a syrup type flavor you're getting off that thing
1: still a bit chewy
0: but it's not like heavy yeah no, you're yeah. right. That's if you point. like, if you like a like, vintage San Andreas, though, it's got the earthy notes. That you know, it's got it's got some of the spice in there. So, it, it's a re- like I said, it's a really good cigar. I mean, that cigar was uh, the number two on the consensus behind Sokka Khan. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I got a I've comment on Saka Khan, Khan I think I sent you Sokka Khan. If I Ooh, didn't, okay. let me know. I haven't had so it. I I did I send Sok- I know I sent you the. Uh... I've heard I've heard mixed I've heard mixed things. So I have a I have when I smoked it when it came out as the JR fiftieth, it was okay, but the ones he released are smoking much better. The like the flavor profile it doesn't change as much as the flavors got okay a little more robust. It was, it was like the the JR release I thought was a little sour at times. This that doesn't have it. All that's gone it. It's actually huh. uh going to score very good on Coop when I have the I have a review coming Whoa! up with, was, this could hit the 90 mark. So uh, yeah, Saka Khan was very much improved with some age on it. It's a really good cigar. Wow, well, I'll have to check yeah. that out.
2: Speaking yeah, of checking was, things
0: yep. out. Yep. Well, go ahead Coop. No, go ahead, I was just ready, yep. I was just going to say it's time to check out some new music. Absolutely, yep. So, of course, uh, we've been smoking in Postani, uh these come from the uh folks uh, who own Cigar Hustler. Located in Deltona, Florida, Uh, they have a great selection of cigars, boutique, tried and true uh, releases, a fantastic store to go to, great lounge, uh, great customer service, comfortable to enjoy a cigar there. Um, But if you can't get to Deltona, Florida, the next best thing is follow them on social media and get on the email list. You want to do both because they drop their they get a lot of limiteds. And they'll drop when they get those limited. Um, sometimes it's in, most of the time it's in email, sometimes it's on social media, uh, because you're going to want to get those cigars uh, limited because they go fast. Um, yeah. So definitely do it. And of course, if you want to get uh, a very unique perspective into the cigar business, uh, there's no more unique show than a Cigar Hustlers podcast. Uh, according mm-hmm. to Mike and Mike, they're the number one show. So we'll let them have their moment in the sun with that, but it is a great show. um, And they—they've really, you know, one thing I'll say about Ace of Gods podcast, their Mm -hmm. production has gotten like elite level. Out of this world. Yeah, you think about where they started, uh, and they just have, you know, and they they, just—they never was bad. It was never a bad production, but they have world. They have like world class production they're doing right now. They have a studio, um, and like I said, their view of the cigar, their view of the cigar industry is like. I call it, it's a gossip session. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but we all gossip. So I'm not knocking them. We all gossip, except oh, they, yeah. they will talk about it on the show. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: In the early days, Mike emailed me because Mike's been a supporter of Shepkevich, has That's been a supporter he... of Jukebox since like day one. Yeah. Like I had Skip on. And I'm like, Skip, I can't get any of your cigars. I like to, when I had guests on, I wanted to feature their cigar, Yep. you know? And I'm like, Skip, I can't get any of your cigars in Australia. Like, what do you want? What do you suggest? And he's like, contact Mike at Hustler. He'll hook you up. Yep. And-, and I did that. And he's been hooking me up with cigars ever since. And he emailed me. And he's like, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. What You know, what's your advice? And I'll look at them, Coop. They're like a. Yep. Like a juggernaut, you, you create you create a monster. <laughs> it's like it's like NBC. Yeah. I mean, they got like seventy five shows. Yeah. they got a studio. I mean, where you know, where's my where's my take? That's what. Oh, I'm exactly.
0: Saying, you know, and I'll say this: when when we formed Primetime Jukebox off the old Cigar Jukebox, it was never a question that these guys were going to come along with this, and and we kept the same arrangement with them because they've been mm. they've been great about getting you cigars. They've been when we've asked them to do shows with us, they've been great. So, um, they will always be a part of this family for as long as they want to be, as far as I'm concerned. That's right. Because yeah, Mike that, is
1: great, damn it.
0: Yeah. So, take uh, that, everybody. And, and he always said that the best experience he had at PCA a couple of years ago was at the compound.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, take
0: it. Yeah. The I, compound I mean, I has been booked, by out. the way. Ba- breaking the compound has been booked. Oh, breaking news. Is
1: this breaking news? Yeah, we
0: have a compound. Yes, we have. Uh, Ooh! Aaron and I paid for the compound. Uh, uh, so we have it all, and it, it's going to be a great, I think it looks great this year. Uh, last year, I thought it was a little down one, but I think this one will be fine with. Um it wasn't bad last year, but um, so yeah, the compound is back. And uh, I a question
1: <laughs> is, who's banned for life? I don't know. Oh. Like, <laughs> I'm always excited about the after hours compound shots yeah. of like people at four in the morning with just like shit all over the table and what cigar industry people are there. And I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, the joke is I ban people. I have banned people from the (laughs) compound. This is the only way you get banned from the compound is if you no show. Like and you say you're going to show. And the Mm. reason why is I'm not trying to be a dick here to people is what I say is we don't we can't have like 100 people there. Right. We can't have a ton of people. So we invite people and we try not to make it overcrowded because we can't technically have a party there. But when you don't show up, you've taken a spot away from someone. Jesus, who a so, no show at the compound? That is poor form. Justin Andrews is uh, a no show. Ooh, choice. Justin called yeah. out. Justin from, from General. Oh, Justin's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so no um, Justin. Yeah, so Justin. They are you not. Know, you know, we didn't mention so they have a new diesel out too. So. Uh, uh Justin's a great guy by the way. So he we I, I think we lifted the ban Aaron and I on the last, or Aaron says it's my call cuz I banned him. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> like basically anyone will support a ban. I think the only two people we banned are um Justin and Juan Cancel. So whoa, okay. I think Juan is uh reinstatement's been given to him as well, so
1: reinstatement. Yeah, nice. he's in
0: rein- the ban for life has been reinstated. It's, it's kind of like the Pete Rose deal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pete Rose. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um.
0: You got all some right. good
1: stuff this week. Yeah, let's go. I got get some in. good stuff. Uh, so what we got, first off, right, is we have Killer Mike. So Killer Mike, for the first time in a long time, is putting out a solo yep. record. Um, And it's getting produced by LP, who's sort of, you know, his, his guy. Yep. And because uh, he's been so busy with Run the Jewels. So what do you do with your first single to promote the record? You do a Run the Jewels <laughs> song. Yep. So you got Killer Mike featuring LP, Don't Let the Devil's name of the track. It's a Run the Jewels opener for the upcoming solo record. I mean, these these two guys have been together in music for so long. It's very fitting that yep. they would open the record with this. I'm very excited for this record. This song's amazing. I review it on the site, so check that out. Side B. I don't do a lot of EDM coop. It's kind no, of a blind you don't. You spot. you know, it was good to see this one. I like this kind of a blind spot, so I got Tiësto. Now, he's like a very well-known EDM yep. DJ. Oh, he's sort yeah. of on He's sort of on par with like your Skrillex and your Danger Mouse or not your Danger Mouse, Dead Mouse. He's sort of on par with those people. Um and the song I picked, I have a review of one of his songs, but the song I chose is the one I didn't do review on. It's um 10:35. And it's a kind of a it's a classic '90s EDM throwback with a lot of synth bass. You got like this like a woman vocal, but there's a lot of post production on the vocal, which kind of modernizes the song as well. So it's a good mix of sort of your throwback EDM with a bit of modern twist to it. Um, it's really interesting. It's got a good interesting like darkness to it uh, that I love. Give it a listen. 10:35. Look, well, Tiësto is a
0: monster. Okay, in the EDM world. Okay, if yes. you haven't, and he's a, he's a classic Euro that Euro Euro sound he's got that European sound. Uh, he comes, I think he's mm. from Holland. I think so. Um, yeah, yeah. He is, and he is considered by many um, to be, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore in the EDM world. Um, it's great that you picked this one.
1: Well, yeah, and the rec- the record's called Drive. Um, and like I said, there's a review of uh, another track on uh, Jukebox. If you want to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad to see this, actually. Uh, I don't do enough EDM, so I'm trying to broaden my horizons there.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, uh, um,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. archaeology Coop is a double. So for people that aren't really new to Harry, instead of diving into like you know his folk stuff or something, I thought a good starting point would be to listen to the double of Calypso and Jump Up Calypso. Yep. So even though there's a lot more to his music than that, I think it's a good entry point. They're probably his most accessible records with the biggest hits and you can use that to sort of springboard and listen to his other stuff. So I would say start there uh if you're if you're kind of new to Harry like you've heard a couple tracks but you don't really know a whole lot about him. Listen. If you like this show, you're interested. I would say start there and listen to those two records, and then kind of branch out. Would be my suggestion. Agree. So, I was thinking of something.
0: I I'm gonna mention it for the first time here. Uh-oh. We have all these album archaeology homeworks. Mm-hmm. At one point, maybe either a listener picks pick something, or I pick oh, one yeah. of these homework assignments, and we do the oh, archaeology us... on it.
1: Ooh. So yeah. the listener. All right. I like this. We're workshopping this on the fly. I like a listener because we get. I give listeners homework all the time. Right. I like when a listener emails us to jukebox at gmail Give us album archaeology homework, and we'll do yeah, it. Yeah, we'll do
0: that as well. That's another great idea. Even better. Like, uh, you know, give us an album, and we'll do it. Yeah, that's a great. I love that idea. That'd be great. I think it'll be a really good idea, and we'll feature it. Yep, um, for, on an upcoming
1: jukebox show. Yeah, come on. It's yeah. uh cigar, yeah. jukebox at gmail.com. Yep. Agree. Let us know what Let's let us yep. know. Man. Yep.
0: Exactly. We'd love to do it. Um, that's all I got, Coop, man. All right. No, Dave, thanks very much uh for tuning in. Stay tuned, folks. We'll announce when and what the next jukebox show will be. So just you want to stay tuned for that. Um, But otherwise, that's going to wrap up Primetime Jukebox into the annals of history for early May 2023. We'll catch everybody on the next show. Take care, everybody.